I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New, New England. England. Case Profiles Edition. Hello, welcome back to another mini episode. Thank you for joining us on Case Profiles 14. We're glad to have you, as always, especially because you guys are contributing to our main goal, which is getting these lesser-known cases out there. So thank you and welcome. Welcome. If you are listening for the first time or you're not quite familiar with our case profiles or many episodes, we are going to fill you in real quick before we get into it. So we are doing these to bring awareness to cases of people of color who do not get enough media attention, law enforcement attention, you name it. And a lot of them are unsolved. And I believe that there's a direct correlation between how much attention they got and them being solved or not. Um, it's not really a mystery that cases that are very well put out there and very well known often are solved quicker. Mm. And yeah, we just want to get these cases out there. And the way that we do it is Liz will tell you guys and myself a case, and then I will tell you guys and Liz a case. So when we make maybe exclamations or say, wow, my gosh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because we are genuinely hearing these things for the first time because we research them separately. Mm -hmm. And then we come together to tell each other and you guys. So we do kind of a two birds, one stone deal. And we get two mini cases out there in one mini episode. Yes. And they are mini, like you said, Kitty, because truly the information is always lacking, which is depressing and unfair. Unfortunately, New England is predominantly white, as we know, so these cases are often thrown under the wayside, and our goal is just to get them out there so people like you can hear it, and maybe you know something. Maybe your aunt knows something. Maybe your grandfather was living in New Haven when this happened. Whatever. So keep that in mind as we go through these stories. And once again, thank you for listening. Now into the awfulness that is these stories. It's my turn to go first today. So I will be sharing with you, Katie, and you listeners, the story of the disappearance of Andy Fan. My sources today was Andy's page on the Charlie Project, which is, I love the Charlie Project. That is a great resource. And you guys, if you've never been on the Charlie Project, it's all just missing people all over at least America, probably more than that. Mm. It's a great, great resource. And then I also used a thread on the Unresolved Mysteries uh, Reddit page. Uh, it was done by someone who we've used before. Their Reddit username is missing in CT, and they are fantastic. And this post, it's from like six years ago, but it's really good. Also, just if you guys wanted to do research of your own on this, look into it. Andy's name is spelled A-N-D-E because, well, I don't know why, but it's pronounced Andy. In some places, they refer to him as Andy with a Y. Not sure why, maybe because everything has to be whited out, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so Andy Fan was born on March 21st, 1973 in China. In 1998, Andy moved to New Haven, Connecticut, and was living in the Bella Vista Apartments, which sounds lovely. When you give it a name like that, you think luxury, right? Yeah. Uh, this was actually an independent living facility. So while living in New Haven, 
Andy had been receiving help from an organization called Continuum of Care of New Haven, which provides mental health assistance and teaches life skills to those who are mentally ill, have intellectual disorders, developmental disabilities, things like that. So it's just kind of like a nudge, like a help, you know, which is great. It's a wonderful program and it's very important. And I feel like there definitely needs to be more of these things. For sure. So... Continuum of Care of New Haven offers case managers. They regularly visit these patients basically because a lot of the time these pa- these clients are isolated naturally because of their mental illness or, you know, they don't feel like they fit in for whatever reason. So these case managers come and they talk to them and make sure everything's okay. Kind of like home visits in these Bella Vista apartments. So Andy... He didn't have a license, but he traveled by bike, and he was always seen driving this bike around. And he had special permission to park his bike downstairs because he lived on the third floor, and it was this whole thing, and he was just known. He was very friendly. So he was friendly, respectful, and always had something nice to say. He was always warm and kind and said hi to everyone. Andy was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and it affected him greatly. And when he was on his medications, he did very well. When he was off them, as it goes for most people who are mentally ill, does not go very well. And that's the unfortunate thing about being medicated is that you deal with this mental illness, you take these meds, and you get better, and you're like, well, why would I need to take them anymore? I'm better. Doesn't work like that. Mm. Sometimes people think that once they stop, they're just going to stay better. Unfortunately, that is not true at all. You're going to do the opposite. So... Just of note, he was taking medication, and that's why he lived at the Bella Vista Apartments, just because he needed a little nudge. And that's fine. So, in the early hours of August 8th of 2004, Andy disappeared. He left behind all of his belongings, including his keys, his passport, and all of his money. Since that day, his bank account and his checkbook have not been touched. Which I think is very telling. According to a witness who saw him at the Bella Vista apartments that morning, Andy was last seen talking with an unidentified male. The man happened to be black. Does this matter? Probably not. But this is the only thing that they're going off of because that's all they know. Mm. And this kind of even plays into like the racial profiling of, you know, oh, was oh was a black man guilty? Something bad. Definitely. Fortunately, it doesn't seem like there's too much of an heir to that, but that was just more the information he was last seen with an unidentified black man. Okay. The witness said she had never seen him before is the thing I think that he, that she was trying to say, but she did say he was very friendly, said hi to her as she walked by, and they were having a conversation and appeared normal, pleasant. There was no intensity. It was not an argument. It was just conversation. Great. Whatever. To this day, Andy has never been seen again. That was the last time he was seen. And we don't know who that unidentified man was. Does that mean he was guilty? No. He probably was the last person to talk to Andy, is Mm. the thing. Unfortunately, nobody has really any idea where he could have gone. Obviously, he was mentally ill. He had bipolar disorder. He did not seem to be suicidal or intentionally going to harm himself at the time of his disappearance. In fact... Two days before he went missing, Andy had a phone call with his mom, who lived in China still, and his sister, Angie, who lived in San Francisco. So according to Angie, the conversation was normal, nothing out of the ordinary. He was perfectly pleasant. They talked on the phone often. He called his mom often. Great. Um, just of note, 
Andy did express at points that he did want to go back to China to be with his mom. So initially people were like, maybe he went back to China. His passport was left behind. So unfortunately that does put a dent in things. And the fact that his bank accounts were never touched, his sister never heard from him again. It was all, it's kind of clear that he did not make it to China if that was his goal. At the time of his disappearance, Andy was actually suffering from a kneecap injury. So he was using crutches and that, I mean, that's a small detail, but could mean something, you know, in terms of maybe if he was attacked or kidnapped, he maybe couldn't escape so easily because he was injured. At the time of his disappearance, Andy was five foot four and 180 pounds. He had black hair and brown eyes. He was possibly wearing a Catholic medal at the time of his disappearance. Unfortunately, Andy is presumed dead in the eyes of law enforcement. So now the investigation is essentially more of a body recovery than anything. Shortly after he disappeared, his sister came and cleared out the apartment. And I feel like that's always a hard thing to do when you don't know. Like you really don't know. He could be alive. But unfortunately, again, this happened in 2004. So it's unlikely and with the evidence of the bank account not being touched and all of his belongings, yeah. If you or anyone you know has any information on Andy's disappearance, call the New Haven Department of Police at 203-946-6316. And that is the disappearance of Andy Fan. Wow. A lot of moving players and the mental illness aspect of it makes it, I think, scrutinized in media which just doesn't add to the the point. That is so crazy because immediately I was thinking, you know, oh, he would have just ridden his bike around and maybe something happened or maybe he rode his bike and something happened to him. But if he had a kneecap injury, how far could he be going? Not far. He can't really make it that far, regardless of if you're hobbling down the street on crutches. Right. First of all, wouldn't that be obvious? Wouldn't people know, oh, there goes Andy? Right. Or, oh, yeah, I saw someone having a really hard time. Right. Walking on crutches. Yeah. I know. It's we- It's very bizarre. Wow. Yeah. The poor guy. That one has been on our list for a while, too, long, I feel like. Long time. Yes. Long time. So, poor thing. Still, his family doesn't have any answers and... You know, you want to think, oh, I hope he did go to China. I hope he made it over there. But there's no logical way of that happening because he never was. It would have been noted that he saw his mom again. You know, like it just he's gone. And that's an awful fact for his family. So you have a more positive story? Hmm. I, too, have a disappearance. Oh, this is the disappearance of Giovanni Gonzalez. Okay. My sources today are also the Charlie Project. Awesome. NBCnews.com. Salem News, and the Boston Herald. Wow. On August 15th, 2008, five-year-old Giovanni Gonzalez was dropped off for the weekend. He was having some visitation with his father, Ernesto Gonzalez Jr. Oh, five years old? Already off the bat, we're starting off really shitty. I don't like it. Giovanni's mom, Daisy Cullen, dropped Giovanni off in Lynn, Massachusetts, in the Brightwood Terrace area at around 4 p.m., on August 15th. This was the last time she saw her son. Oh. Daisy didn't hear from her son all weekend. She did not hear from her son's father, Ernesto, despite her calling several times. Sure. When she went to pick up her son after the weekend was over on Sunday, no one answered the door. No. Daisy called the police. 
Police were able to get inside. And there, inside the apartment, they found Ernesto. Alive? Oh, just hanging out. Oh. Sitting on the couch. Just chilling. Hanging out. No big deal. What they did not find was Giovanni. Uh Uh-oh. The five-year-old was not in the apartment, nor were any of his clothes or the backpack Daisy had sent him with. All that was there from the little boy were his toys still laying around on the floor. Basically, like, the toys that lived at that house, most likely? Yes. Mm. Yep. Okay. When asked about where Giovanni was, Ernesto told police and Daisy that he was not aware of any visit with Giovanni, and the last time he saw him was August 10th, five days before Daisy dropped him off. Witnesses at the Lynn Behavioral Clinic on Union Street say that Ernesto had an appointment and was at the clinic between 11 and 12.30 p.m. on August 16th, the day after Daisy last saw Giovanni, and that Giovanni was at this appointment oh. with Ernesto. Okay, so he, okay. So this whole thing with, oh, I didn't know there was a visit. I didn't, no, he had Giovanni. Literally. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, did she drop him off and literally hand him over to Ernesto and physically see like, hey, this is, here he is. I think it was more like she dropped him off and he went inside the building. Oh, okay. I don't think it was like a physical... physical... Contact. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. This was the last confirmed sighting of Giovanni, but Ernesto's neighbor said they heard the voice of a child coming from inside Ernesto's apartment later that same day. Okay. Daisy and Ernesto separated when Giovanni was two years old, and Daisy said that Ernesto didn't really have a lot of contact with Giovanni until that summer of 2008. Huh. Ernesto had asked Daisy if he could become part of Giovanni's life. Interesting. After Ernesto verbalized wanting to be a part of his son's life, he and Daisy actually started going to counseling so they could be on the same page with parenting and parenting styles and discipline and just kind of work things out between each other, too, so they could effectively co-parent, which I think is spectacular. That's great. That's an that awesome idea. so incredible. Wow. In counseling... They decided that they would schedule visits until September 15th, which is when they would go to court and work out custody and visitation legally. Huh. Ernesto filed for joint custody in June of 2008. Oh. Two months before Giovanni was last seen. Wow. Two days after Giovanni was last seen, so now on August 17th, 2008. Hey, that's your birthday. (laughs) Sorry. Ernesto was arrested and charged with child endangerment. Ooh, interesting. He allegedly refused to cooperate with the investigation. A few days after his arrest, police found several things of note inside Ernesto's apartment, such as a bottle of household cleanser with blood stains on it. Oh, boy. A mop that was stained in blood and then later cleaned with bleach. And several knives. Wow. The blood was determined to not be from Giovanni. Oh. Of note... Ernesto had a cut on his hand that was bandaged, and he would not say where he got it. Okay. Uh, Automatic suspicion right there. Although Ernesto had a history of violent behavior and outbursts, as well as substance abuse, as well as a significant arrest record for punching his girlfriend, damaging her car, and chasing her with a knife, as well as a history of abuse towards Daisy, where on one occasion he picked up a chair and threw it at her. What?! Daisy said he was never violent towards Giovanni. Okay, but clearly he has the capacity to be violent. 
After several months, Ernesto came forward and told a newspaper reporter from the Boston Globe that he murdered Giovanni by stabbing him to death and then dismembering his body in the bathtub before disposing of his remains in plastic bags he threw out around the area. This confession came completely out of left field. Wow. Took everybody. It was completely out of the blue. And you, how long after was this? A couple months. Wow. After he refused to cooperate, after he's not saying a word, after he's not telling them jack shit. Right. They're like, oh, where's that cut from on your hand, Ernesto? I don't know. Weird. What cut? I, I woke up and I had it. <laughs> like, come on. There was also zero evidence to back up this story. The blood wasn't Giovanni's. You know, there was no evidence pointing towards this at all. And right. a lot of people think that he's lying about it. Yeah. Okay. Daisy actually stated... Quote, it's lies. Why would you deny having your son? Then after all this time, why would you come out and say something like that? He wants the attention. He wants people to stop looking for Giovanni, and that's not going to happen. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I I didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. He's trying to derail any kind of... Okay. Exactly. He's trying to say, oh, Giovanni's dead. I killed him. Hmm. After completely screwing with the investigation. Hmm. Child endangerment charges were dropped against Ernesto in December of 2008, and he was charged instead with kidnapping and misleading police. Mm. In October of 2013, Ernesto was declared incompetent to stand trial due to unmanaged mental illness because of his own refusal to cooperate with doctors or take any medication. Yeah. He was residing at the Bridgewater State Hospital until November of 2016 when doctors determined he was competent for trial. Oh, Police announced they were taking a new look at the case in November of 2018. Mm -hmm. Daisy is convinced her son is still alive, and she thinks Ernesto somehow got him to Puerto Rico, which is where he and Daisy are both from. Investigators reached out to both sides of the family in Puerto Rico and found no leads. Wow. At the time of his disappearance, Giovanni was five years old. He was four foot one and weighed 40 pounds. Oh my god. He's Hispanic with brown hair and eyes, and he was last seen wearing blue jeans, a red t-shirt, a silver braided necklace, and black sandals with Spider-Man on them. Oh. He also has a small scar above his right eyebrow, a small birthmark on the inside of his left ankle, and a faded skin pigmentation mark on the lower right side of his chest. Wow. Anyone with any information on the disappearance of Giovanni Gonzalez is asked to please call the Lynn Police Department. Their phone number is 781-595-2000. Wow. That is awful. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It kind of reminds me of the case I covered on Case Profile 12 of Bianca LeBron because she was she was missing and the police thought that she had gotten to Puerto Rico somehow um, through this uncle character. So very bizarre. Very bizarre. And why would you, after all of a sudden, you know, after three years of not seeing your child, not having any contact with him, tell the child's mother, oh, just kidding. I want to be a part of his life. Yeah, let's go to counseling. That's a great idea. Yeah, let's schedule visits. That's a great idea. Hmm. Let me file for joint custody two months before this child goes missing. Yeah. Let me not cooperate with the investigation. Let me lie and say that he never was here. Right. And then all of a sudden go back on my story yeah. and say I killed him. Right. I think that he was doing all of that and he wanted joint custody and he wanted visitation so that he would have an opportunity to have Giovanni under his care alone, unsupervised, and then do something with Giovanni. Right. 
whether he did something as awful as selling him. That's what I was thinking, unfortunately. Because I hate to say it, but with child trafficking like that, there's always a market for any type of child, which is so fucked up. So I, I that was my first thought. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you, you know, wait a couple months and you're getting these visits. I mean, it got to the point where it didn't seem like in this particular visit, Daisy even met Ernesto at the door. Right. She just dropped off Giovanni and inside he went. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And then for him to say, oh, he was never here. Yeah. And then to, of course, go back on that a few times. Right. Hmm. Right. And I think Daisy is 100% correct in saying he's lying. He's misleading the investigation. He wants people to stop looking for him. Yeah. I think that's a I think really she's good point. Spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor thing. Yep. So we don't know where this child is. We don't know what happened. We don't know where he went. And the father is a deranged asshole. And it's been almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. That poor baby. That's awful. That is just so awful. Good story. Thank you for sharing that. Guys, if you have cases that you want us to cover on these mini episodes of people of color and the information is scant, still send them our way. Please. Please. You can send them to us uh, through our Instagram, truecrimene. You can send them to us on our email, truecrimene at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, truecrimeany.com, and go to the contact page and fill out the web submission tool. Even if you think you don't have enough information, we will still do our best to look for it. If we still cannot find enough for even a mini episode, we will be keeping it in our pocket and making a post on our Instagram. As well as our website. As well as our website. You can find those all there on separate pages. We have a page for our case profiles, and we also have a page for our mini episodes. So mini episodes, the episodes are attached, and then the case profile page is just what we posted on Instagram. Yes. And with that, we'll see you Thursday. Bye! Goodbye! 